Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. We're sometimes fortnightly, we're sometimes monthly. I'm your host, Frank, and this is another one of my first looks. This time, a first look at Return to the Circle Undone. I've just been playing Return to the Forgotten Age, and I was so close to saying Return to the Forgotten Age here, but it is Return to the Circle Undone. I think this has been the longest wait since the announcement of the of the return to box and us actually getting it but that's just really wet my appetite for these cards i've been really excited i'm also aware there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment around the world about when people are going to get this set so if you see this come up on your podcast feed and you've decided to listen even though you don't have your cards i feel for you i think it's really really challenging to feel like you belong in the community when everything's so fractured and things are happening at different times. And just personally speaking, that's one of the nice things, hopefully, about Edge of the Earth and the distribution shakeup. that hopefully with just having a one box for two boxes for everyone around the globe at one time, most people can get it at the same time. And the challenge of getting seven different sets over the course of a cycle to every country in the world at roughly the same time, maybe those challenges will be somewhat diminished. Anyway, this isn't the episode where we dive into distribution models. Peter and I, I think, are quite keen to talk about it. Instead, it's first looking. Oh, and I should say, I'm today I'm not joined by anyone. It's just me. We're going original first look. I want to say the original and best, but I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I'm not sure how many other opportunities I will have to first look in this format. So I thought hey, if this is the last one, and who can say? I mean, I get a good say in that. But if it is the last one, let's make it a good one. And thank you to all the people who've listened to and enjoyed First Looks. This, is, this, this isn't a send-off. I know it might sound like it's a send-off. I don't know yet. I've got to do some more thinking. But yeah, I just wanted to say that First Looking has been one of the great delights of doing this podcast and hearing your responses as well, seeing the pictures of people who are opening their pack while they listen along, it's really made my day, so thank you. Anyway, enough chitter-chatter, let's get going. The first card is The Star 17. You have been chosen. This is a 3-cost, 3xp asset for the Guardian class, tarot-traded, and it's the first of the new tarots that we're seeing. Each asset you control with health gets plus one health, each asset you control with sanity gets plus one sanity. Reaction, when the game begins, if star 17 is in your opening hand, put it into play. So that reaction ability is the same for pretty much all of the tarot assets we saw in the Circle Undone, and I think it will be the same for lots that we're about to see. So what we're looking at here really is the XP. This is a 3 XP rather than a 1 XP card, and that two line, those two lines of text, the assets get plus one health and plus one sanity. Hmm. This was also a card that was announced, so we have had a bit more time to think about it. And that's useful for me because I find it quite hard to pass in my head which assets have health and sanity. So first of all, this might be useful purely if you're just wanting to soak even more as a Guardian. And the reason I say as a Guardian is because because this is 3 XP, this is really gated to main cast Guardians and Lola Hayes. So beyond that... We're not, you know, this won't end up in a Schizo Tool deck. This won't end up in a William Yorick deck because obviously they can't take three XP Guardians. So how are you going to use this card? First off, 
simply speaking, you might be just looking to boost up some of your assets with health and sanity. So True Grit has three health and null sanity, and something worth fighting for is the inverse. So if you've got the star in play, you could then instead soak four health or four sanity, take four damage or four horror for the team instead. That's okay, but for three XP and three cost, or for three XP and getting this in your opening hand, it's not great. It's probably below par, I would say. So what we're really looking for then is assets that actually do something with that health and sanity. And luckily, this is in Guardian, which is the faction that has thing has assets that do something with health and sanity. Wow, I feel like I've said this in a really long-winded way. But even at level zero, we've got the guard dog, three health, one sanity. And when it takes damage, it can hit back with the damage, which is pretty nice. So you could turn your guard dog into a 4-2, which means it could hit back four times and it could soak a sanity for you, which is pretty nice. We have some low sanity guardians, so that's kind of nice as well. Beat cop level two, three damage, uh, three three health, two, two sanity. I'm going to get damage, horror, health and sanity all confused now. But likewise, that becomes a 4-3, so it can soak two horror for you and deal back four damage now. Gret Wagner, who at level three is a 4-2, becomes a 5-3, gets you five clues potentially. That starts to get really nice. I even actually like this card for Xavier and Tetsuo Mori, because both of those cards have that interesting clause about being able to soak damage and horror for other investigators, or rather the other investigators can assign damage and horror to Tetsuo or to Brother Xavier. Now, both of those cards have effects when, when they die. Tetsuo searches your deck, Xavier explodes. As you know, any man of the cloth would if they took too much damage and horror. But what the star does is it leans into the fact that they can soak for the team. So... If you're only using Tetsuo for the search ability or you're only using Xavier for the explosion, you might not want the star. But if you're also making the most of that multi-soak tank for the team ability, the star gives extra value to that. And that makes me think of someone maybe like Tommy who might want to replay Tetsuo repeatedly, might really like the star. Not just because he can soak even more damage and horror on him, but then he gets even more resources. And one of the funky things about Tommy and the way Tommy views assets with sanity or health is that he also starts seeing them as resources. So when you look at something like True Grit, it costs three and it gets you three resources because it can take three damage. And then you compare that with, say, Leather Coat that costs zero and can soak two. So you've got a zero cost card for two resources or a three for three. The difference being True Grit can soak for anyone, Leathercoat can't soak for anyone unless you do something like a Solemn Vow or something else around that. Where this gets funky is that the star starts to change all of that math. So True Grit becomes a three for four, Leathercoat a zero for three, Tetsuo becomes a three for six potentially if you can make it work. So you start to get really crazy value in that regard. So yeah, I think that's kind of cool. Um, the other, you know, super-powered one to mention is Agency Backup. You pay seven and you could potentially get five damage and four clues or four damage and five clues if you've got the star down. That is incredible value. You might even like this in Leo if you're assembling a team of allies that are just soaking hits for you. You know, I was thinking as I was talking that I wouldn't be that interested in this if I was running, say, Alice Luxley. We don't really care about her health and sanity values. But of course, if 
you're using her just as a soak, you probably do want a bit more health and sanity. Likewise, in Leo, I sometimes run Ventura, a big fan of Ventura. When you've got those three supplies off Ventura, Ventura is just a soak, and it's a 2-2 soak. Making it into a 3-3 soak, so it's anyway done what it needs to do. It's got a little bit more sticking power to take a hit for you before it's cleared those supplies, and then it soaks even more damage and horror for you. That's cool. That's really nice. Next card. Okay, next we have Hallowed Mirror. Level three. Wow, who knew Hallowed Mirror needed an upgrade? So this is still two cost. It's now gained a, a second willpower icon. Item, relic, occult, and blessed. Blessed means Mateo can take it, which we knew already, but it's still within his range because it's level three. Limit one per deck. Reaction. When you play a copy of Soothing Melody, either change each two on it to three or shuffle it into your deck instead of discarding it. Forced, after Hallowed Mirror enters play, search your bonded cards for three copies of Soothing Melody, add one to your hand and shuffle the other two into your deck. So Soothing Melody reads, heal two damage or two horror, or any combination thereof from among investigators and or ally assets at your location, draw one card. So you can change that to heal three damage or three horror, or any combination thereof from among investigators and or ally assets at your location, draw one card, or... You can just shuffle it back into your deck instead of discarding it. Hmm. So you draw the card first and then you would come to discard it and you'd shuffle it back in. You could just keep going. That's really nice. I like that a lot. Wow, cool. It's still limit once per deck, so you're spending 3 XP on a single card in your deck. All of the usual arguments about whether or not you see it are worth mentioning there. It hasn't... It's restricted, essentially, who can take it because of the level 3. It's the same limit as the star plus Matteo, right? Do we have any occult zero to four? I don't think, I think everyone who's occult is occult level zero. Parallel Agnes, what's she? Occult cards level zero to three. Bingo. So she could take this. Oh, this is making me think of Sean's Parallel Agnes deck. Curse Sean and Curse Mythos Busters forever. Goes without saying, but I will say it. And he was talking about the power of playing Soothing Melody, which is a spell, to use Elem of Hyperborea to draw a card, and you then draw a card from the, the melody itself with the smaller deck size of Parallel Agnes. Wow, that's pretty cool. Or if you're just desperate for more healing to then use her Parallel Front ability to take damage to reduce costs, you can then heal three. I think that's pretty cool. I think that being able to heal three does open up some flexibility around, you know, heal two damage and a horror or heal two horror and a damage i mean even just taking a single heal three takes you from four out of five sanity to one out of five sanity which starts to feel a lot safer in the way that a single heal two you go from four to two you're still in rotting remains tentacle death zone i mean that's a slightly forced example but it's worth noting yeah it seems pretty good i see this I'm picturing this as a kind of late campaign. You've got a bit more XP, but you're pretty set up. You don't want to start adding different cards to your deck, but you would just like to upgrade what you have. And I've seen Hallowed Mirror in a lot of decks because it's really strong, and having this as an option I think is really cool. Right, next we have our first Seeker card. It's the Seeker Tarot, the World 21. The journey is complete. Is that pieces of spine? on it. I think it's like, what are they called? Vertebrae. It looks like they are. 
So three cost, three XP, takes up the tarot slot, the same reaction ability when the game begins, but it has a free trigger. If you have eight or more cards in your hand, exhaust the world tw uh, 21, draw one card. Ooh, okay. Have to have a hand of eight, which is the same as the hand for Farsight, and you can just draw more cards. A free draw every turn, as long as you have eight cards in hand. Pretty good. In Harvey's hands, that's draw two every turn freely. I imagine Harvey's probably the most likely to be big-handing it. Although, I feel like I'm a bit skewed on this one because I really enjoy Dream Enhancing Serum. So, I could see myself just going for more draw in that way. It plays into Big Seeker, doesn't it? It basically rewards you if you have a big hand, have an even bigger hand. If you go double studious and start the game on seven... You give yourself more of a chance to see this and get it into play, and then you can exhaust it once you're at eight cards and start drawing even more. I can see what people will criticise this card for, which is that it overdraws you. And yeah, I, I can see that that is somewhat problematic. It depends how vital it is keeping things in hand. If you're doing the lab assistant or vault of knowledge or dream enhancing serum thing, you're not too worried about drawing more, particularly if you've seen thrice damned curiosity already. It's the sort of thing where you want to start your turn with eight cards in hand, because then you can draw one and decide which card you're then spending that turn or committing or whatever it is you're doing with it. It's not the kind of ability that you want to spend your turn drawing up to eight to then trigger this to go to nine. The other thing I'd say is that sometimes... No, I was going to say something about weaknesses, but I don't think that applies here, actually. Sometimes I'm at my hand limit but I have weaknesses coming up and I'm happy to draw because I won't actually overdraw because I just hit a weakness but that's such a rare situation and it's not one I really can control that I think it doesn't apply here I'm just sharing my I was like I'm not going to share that because it's a nonsense thought but I think it's probably worth acknowledging that maybe maybe you have eight cards in hand but you're looking to clear a weakness like say a paranoia before it's too late or even to get a weakness in hand that you want to resolve obviously not an amnesia but so you're just, yeah, you're waiting, you're, you're, you're rushing to do that so that you can move on. Maybe the timing is right. Okay, yeah, kind of funky. Yeah, I mentioned studious. I suppose if you're also doing ancestral knowledge, you're then picking skills into your hand when you need them also as free triggered. Seekers are getting <laughs> even more powerful about card draw. Good thing their cards aren't very good that they draw into. Right, next, it's a cult lexicon. Awesome. Okay, we're seeing this also get a, a, a beef up. And wow, I'm going to have to remember what Bloodright does because this is now two cost, three XP. It's gained an intellect icon to two intellect. Item, tome, and occult. So Parallel Agnes can take it. Limit one per deck. Reaction, when you play a copy of Bloodright, either change each two on it to three or shuffle it into your deck instead of discarding it, and then the forced effect is the same as level zero occult lexicon that you add a bloodright to your hand and put two others in your deck, and it takes up a hand slot. So bloodright reads, draw two cards, discard up to two cards from your hand, for each card thusly discarded, you may either gain one resource or spend one resource to deal one damage to an enemy at your location. This action does not provoke attacks of opportunity. So level three is... Draw three cards. You may discard up to three cards to do three damage or get three resources. The three damage, you have to spend three resources. Wowee. 
It's a three health solution if you can pay three resources and three cards. It's no bad thing if you've just used the world 21 to draw a card when you're already at eight and then you want to shed a load of cards. Maybe you're, you're not worried about certain things. Discarding three cards for three damage is quite an ask. But if you need it, you need it. And being able to deal with some tricky three health enemies just in one shot is pretty awesome, particularly because it's testless. If your hand's really full, maybe you're using a blood right for resources. It's the same as a cash then. Draw three. I mean, it's a cash, but with deck cycling. Draw three, discard three, get three resources. That seems okay. Then this other ability of shuffling it into your deck, that is pretty funky as well. I find with blood rights less than soothing melodies. Soothing melodies, you can often find a quiet moment to use them. With blood rights, when you need them, you really need them. And it's time to just kind of go crazy and use a load. Particularly if it's towards the end of the scenario, you've got a couple in hand, you've got the resources to do it. And actually, I don't really want them spaced out in that way. I want my deck densely filled with blood rights. So yeah, there's something coming up for me here about a Seeker deck that's drawing pretty heavily, probably with Dream Enhancing Serum, and seeing all of the myriad blood rights which see you know help you draw into the other copies of them and just drawing heavily i think that's kind of cool yeah funky um again occult lexicon is actually often a card i run in a level zero deck and i upgrade into things like i've got a plan two or maybe other solutions out of seeker and i don't worry as much about running occult lexicon like i often find it's not even though it's testless, it can be really resource intensive to say kill off a four health enemy with two blood blood rights. That's four cards and four resources to do that. So I'll often find that I'm running it less and less as a campaign goes on. And it'll be interesting to see if that changes now that I know I can go to level three. Right, then we have the Rogue Tarot, Knight of Swords, which is a little tarot card tucked on the dashboard of a car. 3 cost, 3 XP, charge ever onward. It takes up the tarot slot, has the same reaction when the game begins, but it also has another reaction. When you would succeed at a skill test, you get plus one skill for this test. You may discard Knight of Swords to get plus three instead. What? No exhaust? So when you have Knight of Swords in play, every test you take, if you're about to succeed, you succeed by an extra one. The only thing I can think of that that matters is you're never going to not trigger watch this, which is when you succeed by one or more. Because when you put watch this in, if you succeed by zero, nothing happens. So with Knight of Swords, watch this is on forever. But also if you succeed by one on a test, that then bumps you up to succeeding by two. And succeeding by two is the first threshold for Derringer, the Lucky Cigarette Case, quick thinking, that's kind of where it kicks off. It also means that Nimble is always going to give you a move because you get to move up to the points you succeeded by. All In is always going to draw you at least one card. Sword of Shotgun is always going to do one damage, (laughs) but you'd be hoping it would do more than that. And that discard ability to then say, actually, I need a plus three here. You still need to succeed, but if you're doing something that cares about how much you succeed by, it might be that moment of, right, let's go for it. We're succeeding by three. Wow, I love it. It's really cool. Talk about another sort of funky way. It's sort of like daring maneuver on a stick. Yes, I've succeeded, but I wanted to succeed by even more. It means as a rogue, you could 
not care so much about going really high over the stat threshold to try and guarantee you'll succeed by X and actually just go in a little bit lower to the threshold or not put as much effort into going higher and still get the reward anyway. Also, interestingly, it means that, say, triggering getting your opportunists back becomes a bit easier because, again, you know, opportunists, I've talked about it before in the cast, it actually makes it harder to hit that threshold, but this triggers. And, of course, that's making me think, then, if you take this in skids and run Vicious Blow 2, as long as you succeed by 1, you'll succeed by 2 and get the extra damage. Or if you're running this in Trish with Deduction 2, just rapidly trying to think of the right person. Yeah. That's cool. That's really good. And I suppose if you're running it in Tony and you're running all in and sword off shotgun, that's when you save it for that discard for plus three. You might only succeed by two and then turn that into succeed by five and draw five cards and do five damage. Love it. Really nice. And next is well-connected level three. Wow, it's every card level three so far. They're just going, this is great for me because it really limits who can take it. So it's still two cost. 3 XP, intellect, and it's gained an agility icon. I'm pretty sure it was just an intellect icon. It's condition traded. Limit one per investigator. Free trigger, exhaust well connected. You get plus one skill value for this skill test for every four resources you have. Free trigger, spend two resources ready well connected. Limit once per round. Yes. Okay, that is great. I've think I've said on the cast before my complaints about the sort of rich Preston solo style where when well connected only really helps you with one test a turn well it does because it's you can only have one and it exhausts here we get two really interesting boosts the first is it cares about four resources instead of five which means if you're on 20 resources you get a plus five instead of a plus four that's not nothing but also if you start the game on five resources and pay two and go down to three for well-connected, in upkeep, if you don't spend any other resources, you'll go up to four resources and this is on again straight away as a plus one. That's kind of nice straight away. That spend two resources to ready it, it's really cool, I think. Because if you're playing well-connected, you're probably accumulating a big pool of resources. And even if I say I'm on 16 and I go for plus four and then I need it again... Getting a plus three following that, spending two and getting plus three, is still really good. If I can keep myself at a certain threshold, that's amazing. I've mentioned Preston already, and obviously he could be spending money off family inheritance for the readying ability, so it wouldn't actually eat into the pool of resources he has for the boost. So that's really cool. But then, yeah, other investigators could similarly, you know, Jenny, that's basically spend one upkeep's worth of resources to get two boosts instead of one. That's really nice. If you do double another day, another dollar, you start on, what, nine resources? Oh, this is really good. So you go down to seven, and at the end of the round, you're on eight, which means you're already on a plus two for well-connected before you're even factoring in any event economy or anything else that you're running. Yeah, that's good. Somehow running at eight instead of running at ten resources starts to feel really reasonable. I think because you can, you can eat into that, you can use up half of those resources and you're still getting a single boost. So that starts to become really good. Yeah, cool. Funky card. So yeah, Knight of Swords and Well Connected, it's just all about the skill boosts, just getting you through tests. That's kind of cool. Okay, next we have the Hierophant 5, Your True Master Awaits. Struggling to make out the art on this. It's just lying on, a, I think, on sort of tattered parchment. 
This is the Mystic Tarot, 3 cost, 3 XP, same reaction ability. It reads, you have one additional arcane slot. And your arcane slots can be used to hold cards that take up accessory slots. And vice versa. Boom. Mind blown. So potentially you're having a card come into play that immediately gives you an additional arcane slot. It is 3 XP for that privilege, but I think this compares pretty favourably to Book of Shadows and to Sign Magic. Yeah, this, if you can see it in your opening hand, boom, it's down, three slots are there, start filling them, no worries. I think that's really nice. I really like the idea of that in, say, Akachi, where you just want to fill your slots with different uses, charges, cards that you're then using. Maybe you're using alchemical transmutation, or maybe you're just using an evasion spell, a combat spell, and a clue spell. But I think any main class mystic is probably eyeing this up at least, not just because it's just an easy way of getting a free arcane slot, but also your arcane slots can be used to hold cards that take up accessory slots and vice versa, which means you have three arcane slots and one accessory slot, but you also have four accessory slots then, or four arcane slots, or any combination therein. So straight away for the 3 XP, you're also getting Relic Hunter, but not just Relic Hunter, Relic Hunter++. plus plus. My mind is kind of popping here. The other thing I'm thinking of, actually, I thought of Relic Hunter, I thought of Peter's Solo Agnes, and then I thought of Mind's Eye. Straight away, if you get an additional arcane slot, you can run something like Mind's Eye and two arcane slots, and still have two arcane slots left, your accessory slot and this bonus slot. Or you can run Mind's Eye and run two accessories, whether that's a Crystal Pendulum or a Holy Rosary or a St. Hubert's Key or whatever it is. Maybe you've got a signature like the Heirloom of Hyperborea that also takes up the accessory slot. The flexibility is wild and kind of exciting. And I wonder if you just, yeah, ah, Crystalline Elder Sign, Jewel of Aureolus, you can build into all sorts of funky things there. Yeah, I think that's really good. I think I, I don't, I, this is one of those cards where the promise of seeing it in your hand and getting it down is really, really tempting. And I get carried away with the excitement of that. And I'm just reining myself in a bit because I'm picturing the person who says, yeah, but you have to see it in your opening hand for that to do that. And if it doesn't, you've got all of these arcane slotted and accessory slotted cards that you can't actually get into play. And that's true. You know, Maybe people would prefer to just run Relic Hunter and Sign Magic because it's in its own way reliable, but you still have to see and play those cards. Not Relic Hunter, it's permanent. You still have to see and play Sign Magic. Anyway, I, yeah, I think it's cool. I think if you've got ideas for your big rig mystic with loads of spells, I would love to see it, send it over... That would be really cool to explore and think about. Yeah, even, you know, even Jim or Luke, you know, just pile some stuff in those accessory slots. Be really good. Right, next we have Sign Magic. Oh, we have Sign Magic. Oh, I think this was in a card fan, actually. I think I should have known this was coming. Three cost, three XP. Willpower and intellect icons. I Honestly, I think it's gained the intellect icon. Ritual and talent traded. Because it's ritual traded, you can uncage the soul, this. And then it says fast. I'm pretty sure sign magic was fast, actually. Record scratch, all of what I've just said about sign magic. I think it's just the three costs that held me back, now that I think about it. Anyway, fast. You have an additional arcane slot, which can only be used to hold a spell or ritual asset. Hand slot. I think all of that is the same so far. Reaction. 
after you activate an action ability on a spell or ritual asset, exhaust sign magic, activate an action ability on a different spell or ritual asset you control without paying its action cost, but with properly paying any other costs like charges. Oof. So I could shrivel, kill the enemy I'm with, exhaust sign magic, and immediately use my right of seeking to start getting clues. Or I could evade one enemy and then start shriveling another enemy. Or I could be the pure combat mage and use Azure Flame against one and then trigger the action on my Wither or my Armageddon. Wow. Cool. Okay, notably, you have to have found this, paid three to get it in play, and played two other, two spells that also have action abilities. I could see this being kind of handy if you're maybe doing some scrying or weird stuff where you've got a kind of utility spell as well as your main spell. So you like use Sixth Sense and then exhaust sign magic and use scrying or something like that. The big complaint against scrying level zero is obviously it takes so long. Or use Sixth Sense and then alchemical transmutation to get resources or something like that. I can I can see that as well. But yeah, you need to have found those two spells and got them into play. So in the meantime, Sign Magic is just the three cost giving you an additional arcane slot. But until you've actually filled your original two arcane slots, Sign Magic isn't doing anything. We really need, I think, an ever-vigilant for Mystics to get all of their spells in play. Because both the Hierophant and Sign Magic are saying, hey, look, have three or four slots. But the thing they don't say is, yeah, and it will take you quite a while to fill them. Because that's that's three plus actions just to get that stuff down, which is, yeah, for quite the commitment. But cool. I think that's really good. That's really funky. I like the idea either you're dedicated to a single thing and you've got multiple arcane slots helping you do that thing, or so, you know, maybe you even have a sixth sense and a right of seeking or a sixth sense and a clairvoyance, or you're the generalist who has different options in play and, you know, you could always tag on a clue-finding ability after you've evaded or fought an enemy or something like that. Yeah, wow. Next we have, carrying straight on, 3 XP, Survivor, 9 of Rods, every trial a lesson. It's a person wrapped in a kind of scarf, all cuddled up. Same tarot ability that comes into play if you have it in your opening hand, and then another reaction ability. When you draw a non-weakness encounter card, exhaust 9 of Rods, Cancel all of that card's effects and shuffle it into the encounter deck. Then draw another card from the top of the encounter deck. Just like a repeatable Malison, but even works for enemies. Oh no, Malison works for enemies as well. It's just, I do not like that card. I will just draw a different card instead. Wow. Okay. Really rewards knowing the encounter deck. It's the really cool good fortune side of survivors that you think of them as sort of gormless and hapless but actually they can have a really heady amount of encounter deck control, or they manipulate it by not caring about the damage and horror if you're stellar. Yeah, maybe you're using this as stellar and fishing for a test you want to fail because you just draw an enemy, or you're using it as pretty much any other survivor. I can even see you using it in, say, Yorick to keep fishing for enemies because that's what you want to be dealing with to replay assets. That's kind of nice. Maybe you're Silas and you're on really low sanity. All you need to do is survive. Or maybe you're any survivor and you're worried about dooming out and you draw the ancient evils and you get rid of it. Or even you draw something like um, Deep One Assault 
and it's like, oh, crumbs, this is going to absolutely mob me. No thanks. You do have a chance of drawing that card again, but at least you shuffle it back and, and give yourself a second bite of the cherry. Second bite of the apple? Apples or cherries? I can't remember which. Okay, yeah. On first blush, I say that's a really strong ability. Next is Trial by Fire. <gasps> it's now two cost. It's gone down in resource cost. Three XP. It's gained a wild icon, so it's double wild. It's spirit traded. Fast. Play only during your turn. Until the end of your turn, set the base value of each of your skills to five or the base value of one of your skills to seven. You never really know what you're capable of until something is trying to eat you. And then you find a hammer and an axe and go to town on it. Holy moly. All skills to five or one to seven. The previous version of Trial by Fire was just one skill to five. So Preston gets... Oh, he can't take it. Curses. Okay, so Calvin sets his base to five and then you add on top of that any other damage or horror he's taken. Or you just really need to solve one difficult problem for the turn or you're fighting for the whole turn. You just say, I'd rather just have base combat of seven or base intellect of seven. I'm just investigating three times. Okay, yeah, I can see that. That's pretty good. Maybe you're running this in, I don't know, Wendy. And you're giving yourself extra actions from Leo or Swift Reflexes or Quick Thinking. You just set one skill to seven and go to town. Have a five or six action turn. Potentially as well, setting your skills to five and then using Will to Survive. So a two card, what is it, six resource combo. You're just creaming through everything else. It's pretty good. Wow. Super strong. Am I forgetting someone else who might be really useful? I mean, I suppose you can use this with Ashcan as well, set your intellect or your combat to a high ability. I don't think we've ever seen a stat getting set as high as seven. That's just... I'm just staring at this card thinking, wow, this seems good. And next we have our first neutral card. And yes, I can see there's more than one. This is the Moon Pendant. Two cost, two XP. Got to roll out the old two XP here. It's item and charm traded and takes up the accessory slot. You have one additional tarot slot. Each non-weakness tarot asset in your hand or committed to a skill test gains double wild icon. And it has the same ability that when the game begins, if it's in your hand, put it into play. I hadn't even thought about what would happen if you had two of some of these tarots in play. So the star, all your assets with health would get plus two health and with sanity would get plus two sanity. For the world... You could draw two cards if you had eight or more, go up to ten. For Knight of Swords, when you'd succeeded a skill test, you end up getting plus two. So it just turns on all of your succeed by two. The Hierophant, you get two additional arcane slots, so you'd be at one, two, three, four, and your accessory slot. And potentially with the Nine of Rods, you can be redrawing two cards a turn from the encounter deck. Talk about like sifting way through. That's just for those. But obviously, you could also be looking at any of the original tarot as well. So you could think about running the star, but also, wow, oh, this is going to really challenge me, the punchy one, <laughs> the one that gives you plus one combat. Can't remember any of the tarot's names. That one is called not Five of Pentacles, not Ace of Rods. Don't do this to me. Ace of Swords. I knew there was an ace in it. I've looked it up. Ace of Swords. There we go. Ace of Swords, or you could run Death, which is the plus one intellect. You could, yeah, 
essentially the moon is plus one agility. You could run that tarot for the stat boost and run the level three tarot. I've got to say, I often don't run tarots anymore. I like them, absolutely, but I often find that I don't want to be disappointed about not seeing them in opening hand and that deck slots are so tight that just getting a plus one to a deck slot is not so good. Of course, if you want to get the most out of Moon Pendant, not only do you have an additional tarot slot, but you can also commit tarots in your hand to tests for plus one wild. So potentially you run two copies of two tarots, hope to see at least some in your opening hand, and then chuck away the others that you don't need and you filled your deck with a load of unexpected courages for all the XP that you've spent. It's not great, but at least it gives them an extra use, which might incline me more to run some of those stat-boosting tarots that I wouldn't otherwise run. Okay, next we have the Fool Zero, Unlimited Potential, another neutral card, 3 cost, 3 XP. Okay, we've got back on the 3 XP train. It's tarot-traded, it takes up the tarot slot. When the game begins, if the Fool Zero is in your opening hand, put it into play. Fine. And when you play a card, exhaust the full zero, reduce that card's cost by one. Whoa. Every turn, you get one resource from the full. Wow. Okay. Well, that's nice. You combine that with the moon pendant. If you don't see that early and it just ends up in your hand, you're thinking, I'm not going to spend three resources to then over four turns get back the value that I would have spent. I'm just going to commit it and get two wild icons, which is pretty crummy for a 3 XP guard but if you do see it early an extra resource a turn on a drip as long as you play a card wow pretty strong it's like nothing special but just strong yeah you could probably do something cheeky with this in like a dark horse deck as well where obviously you're not staying broke with dark horse anyway but say you take your one resource from dark horse you can then play look what i found for one you can pay play flare for one you know you can play some of those two cost cards without really coming out of the dark horse hole if you wanted to pretty cool and there's more now some of these cards yes i can see two more cards that i'm pretty sure were announced by los archivos the arkham so we have observed it's a four cost a four xp null costed asset it's null costed because it's permanent it's blessed so Mateo can take it because it's neutral level four. Limit one per investigator. Before setting up each game, draw three random cards from the tarot deck and choose one. Place the chosen card in front of you in the upright position. Each other investigator ignores its effects. Shuffle the rest back into the deck. So if you like the tarot deck, you can see more. Then there's a basic weakness, damned. It's curse and omen traded. It's also permanent. Our first permanent treachery. Before setting up each no, <laughs> apart from indebted. Yeah, our first, but not quite first, our second permanent treachery. Before setting up each game, draw a random card from the tarot deck and place it in front of you in the reverse position. Each other investigator ignores its effects. Now I'm going to come back to those because I'm going to grab the tarot in a moment. But then the, finally, there's another weakness. The devil 15, your shadow hungers. It's someone slotting that card in the reverse position into their coat pocket. Three cost asset. You cannot play assets other than the Devil 15 while it's in your hand. And if it's drawn in your opening hand during setup, before or after Mulligan, you cannot replace it. It must stay in your opening hand. Oh, takes up the tarot slot. That is nasty. So once it's in your hand, 
you can't put other assets down. And seeing that in your opening hand is basically saying, yeah, we're just eating up 60% of your resources to start the game. Clear me first. That could seriously hamper you if your plan is play an, a- an ally, play a weapon, get going, or you know, play an ally, play a key asset to investigate, get going. This just bites a chunk out of that. Really mean. It's fine like the tower. Once it's down, it's not a problem. But three cost is still mean. The tower is probably over-costed at four or meanly costed anyway. So observed and damned is sort of fascinating because obviously we need to know what the tarots do. I don't think I'm going to read every single one of them here because... We could just explore them for ages, but they look incredible. So the Fool, for instance, the upright position, you get two bonus experience during this resolution. So you could be using Observe to try and fish for that just for yourself. And everyone else wouldn't get that ability, but you'd be giving yourself the extra ability. And it's reverse position, everyone gets minus two XP. So if you're damned, that wouldn't affect everyone else, but it would affect you. You just get this bonus nasty effect then you've got something like the magician each investigator wins the game with three additional resources or the reverse minus three resources you get it right the high priestess during the first intellect test each investigator performs each round they get plus one intellect and in the reverse position during the first intellect test each investigator performs each round they get minus one intellect now that you know if you're damned and you get that and your role is fighter You're actually probably pleased you've taken that out of the tarot pool because it's not affected your clue getters. But also, just having a minus one intellect as a clue getter for the the game from Damned is, is hideous. So yeah, I think that's really mean. I think I've not yet played with the tarot deck, so it's hard to judge that in itself. But I think having two weaknesses in the pool, well, a weakness and, sorry, having one weakness and one other card that just interact with them, I think is a nice touch. And I think it's probably something that I might optionally include in my pool. Just because if I'm not running the tarot deck, maybe I don't want to see those cards. And I think that's fine. Uh, You know, house rules are absolutely fine in this game. It might be that the tarot deck is so incredibly fun that straight away it's like, yeah, get observed and really hope you don't get damned. But because I haven't played it yet, I I can't judge that. And of course, it'll be something I'm trying out because there's a bunch of tarot cards to try out. So yeah, this is my first look for Return to the Circle Undone, not the Forgotten Age. Really excited to dive into the scenarios and see how they've been changed up. This felt like a really tight pack in terms of what it was doing. Pretty much three XPs across the board, so it's saying these things should play into the core capabilities of the faction. I think the road cards are looking particularly cheeky there in terms of how it's just let's get good stats and pass tests. And I think the Mystic stuff is also fascinating around, do you want more slots? We can get you more slots. How are you going to use them? There's been such a long period of time when there were ways of getting arcane slots, but we just weren't flooded with them. Or, you know, Book of Shadows existed. So it was like, well, you can have more slots. It's just really costly. And now seeing more ways that seem more appealing to have arcane slots, that idea of, yeah, like I said, big rig or multiple spell Mystic, has me really excited. I hope you've enjoyed this. You can get in touch with Drawn to the Flame podcast at gmail.com. We're Drawn to the Flame on Facebook and Twitter. We're on Design by Humans and Patreon. Come and be a patron. Join in with all the fantastic things that patrons are doing. Or if you're already a patron, 
you're the best. Thanks so much for your support, for your conversation, for your feedback. I just really appreciate it all. So thank you so much. Thanks very much for listening. Bye.